Hello, welcome to episode 43 of the We're All Screwed Up and That's Okay podcast with me, Dawn Walton, who clearly <laughs> can't breathe today. Um, today I wanted to talk to you about mindfulness for people that can't. So I am, um, my initial qualification was as a Quest cognitive hypnotherapist. Cognitive hypnotherapy is where we work with our clients to use their reality to change their reality. So assuming that you have the answers inside of you and we use your thinking brain to help reprogram your non-thinking brain, your subconscious. And I got into it because um, I first went to see the founder, actually, a guy called Trevor Sylvester, who uh, used to operate out of Harley Street because a friend said that he'd be able to help me. And, you know, Harley Street is a prime location in London where the top doctors operate out of. And even though I was at the time on a very big, important job where I made lots of money, the idea of going to see somebody in Harley Street for, like, essentially the rest of my life was just, I I just couldn't do it. It was just no way that was going to be affordable. And this friend said to me, uh, he should be able to help you in just a few sessions. And I laughed because that's ridiculous. You know, if, you, if you've listened to any of my podcasts, you know, the the background I have is way more complex than that. Um, but a part of me was like, well, what if that was true? What if this guy can help you? And I mailed back and forth with him and he seemed to totally get me and I totally connected with him. And so I thought, what the heck? What if it works? And so I went down to Harley Street and I went for my first session with him. Having not quite twigged, <laughs> he was a cognitive hypnotherapist, right? So so I get into the room and he starts telling me to close my eyes. Now, I'd taken a friend with me um, just because I'm not going to a strange room with a guy who's going to talk at me. But um, even so, it was like, oh, man, you know, he's asking me to close my eyes. And, and I can't do that. I have it's a really big trigger for me. It was the way I cope with some of the abuse was to close my eyes, switch the light out and pretend nothing was happening. So to go into a room and be told to do that was just um, really difficult for me. And from that first session, as he directed me to explore my memories, it was it was really bad. It was really difficult to do it. And fortunately, Trevor, as the founder, uh, knew what he was doing and was able to work with me. And so even with all of that resistance, with all of that feeling like it didn't work, I came out of that first session and there were significant changes. Everything felt different. And I thought, I need to learn how to do this. By the second session, I was convinced that my life had led me to this guy and this point and this approach. And by the third session, I was booked on to train. It was one weekend a month for 10 months down in London at Regents University. And every weekend that you went down there, you would learn stuff, you would learn the theory, and then you would put it into practice and you would practice with a partner and you would actually do the thing that you just learned on the person and help them. And I found I had a really good aptitude for this. I could quickly pick up the idea behind what I needed to do, didn't need to follow the script quite as closely in the early days as maybe the other people did, didn't feel quite so worried. I kind of had a feel for working around people. So I would practice on them, they would practice on me, and that's where we had a problem. Even the very first exercise where we were asked to do what's called a positive timeline, which is basically go find a happy memory. 
I don't have happy memories from my childhood. There are some there, and there's a few more that I maybe can realise now, but they are shrouded under such darkness and such trauma that somebody saying, go back to your childhood in itself, already took me out the loop. So I go into this really dark place. I start reacting, and I have to get up and I have to leave the room. I call one of the assistants over to help with my partner, and off I go and leave the room. I'm like, what is wrong with me? You know, it's just like a simple exercise. Find something happy. You should be able to do that. And actually, that was a consistent theme every single weekend. If I had to close my eyes, even if I kept my eyes open, if I had to go back inside, I really struggled. I would often end up shaking and triggered. And even though I was getting all this really significant help from Trevor, my life was changing. I just couldn't do it. And then... After I'd qualified, I did the uh, cog hip version of hypnobirthing. It's called confident childbirth. Because so I thought it would be, it had some pain management techniques and things like that in it that I thought would be really useful for my clients. So I went along to this, and it was just a group of six people and, and the lady leading it, who was also a qualified therapist. And, and so one of the things you teach is self-hypnosis, right? How to take yourself into a more relaxed state. So the six of us are sitting around. And she talks to us and she starts saying, close your eyes. I'm like, I'm not closing my eyes. I'm just going to keep my eyes open. I'll do it with my eyes open because that works for me. And then as she started talking, I found myself crying. <laughs> so this poor woman was at the front of the room trying to talk her class through how to do self-hypnosis with a freaked out person staring at her and crying. <laughs> it's just like, I felt so bad. I felt so bad. Because it's so frustrating that I couldn't do any of this stuff. It's like, what is wrong with me? I can't do any of these things. Over the years, I've been in similar situations. There was a guy called, oh, Sandy, something, Newbiggin, who did a talk on uh, mind calm and body calm and things like that. And, and, and as obviously you, you, as part of your talk, and it was a really interesting talk. And he had a really great approach to how you separate from your thoughts. And I was really engaged with it. And then he he kind of got us all to do it. So in this big theatre-style room at Regions University with over 100 people there, he starts, you know, just saying, defocus, basically. Just don't, you know, look ahead, but, but allow the focus around you to blur. And again, internally, I start shaking. I start being triggered straight away. And I, I just left, to be honest, in that occasion. And all this time, it's been, what is wrong with me? I can't even close my eyes, you know, I, I can't do relaxing. If you tell me to do something with breathing, I'm, I'm kind of screwed. So um, the other day, not the other day, since I've been, since my mother died, I've been working through stuff. And and there was something that was triggering me. And I, I was talking to my cousin, I was WhatsApping her or whatever, and saying, you know, I kind of, I've realized what's going on here. My breathing is all over the place. I feel like I'm like panic breathing. And as a counselor, she was like, okay, well, just just do what I tell you now and just, you know, take this breath in and this breath out. Now, normally I wouldn't do that because I know myself. I know that doesn't work for me. But because you said, do what I tell you, <laughs> um, I have been programmed in my upbringing to do what I'm told. I did it. <laughs> and then I'm like, bang, straight back into a really graphic triggered memory. And I know that's why I don't do the breathing thing. So then I had to get myself out of it and, and she was trying to help and all this sort of stuff. But it's it's been a frustration. 
it's been a frustration for me over the years that what works for others doesn't work for me. And, and as time has gone on and as I clear stuff out of the way, I kind of expected it to change, but it, it hasn't. And I have started to understand it a lot more. And one of the things I try and do in the way I do my therapy approach or even just my social media is I try and recognize that we're all unique and we're all different. I can't know what affects you, but I can know that different things affect people in different things. And there are some things that do work and some things that don't. So when I try and communicate, I try and communicate in a way that is as inclusive as it possibly can be, that has something in it that you can use no matter what your background, no matter what your situation. So if mindfulness in its traditional sense, where you can relax your body, focus on your breathing, kind of, <coughs> excuse me, not be overpowered by your thoughts, kind of separate yourself out from that, go into this calm space. If that works for you, fantastic. Great, it works for lots of people. It's not a problem whatsoever. But if that doesn't work for you, it's just that you've got stuff that means it doesn't work for you. So maybe going into your head is the very worst thing for you. It is for me. I've spent my whole life running away from my thoughts, running away from my head. This is why I can produce vast amounts of content in a short space of time. I'm, you know, I have to do multiple things to be distracted. I can write books quickly. Four books. They just roast them written in less than six months. Because I just do things. I just get on and do things. And yes, you may have noticed my attention to detail is lacking. Um, I have no patience. I just get on and do things. And that's the price I pay. But, you know, none of us are perfect. So I accept that the price I pay for not being perfect is my attention to detail. But I can't. You tell me to go into my thoughts and I just freak. I absolutely freak. I do not want to be sitting in my head. That's the very last place. That's the very worst place I want to be. So you tell me to kind of focus on, even to just not connect with them, then you've told me to go inside my head and that does not work for me. So if I want to achieve the same effect of not kind of owning my thoughts, not being immersed in my thoughts, then actually I need to go somewhere other than inside of me. I need to go outside of me. I'm sitting in my kitchen at the moment and I can see trees. What I could do is I could focus on the trees. I could look for shapes in the trees, faces. There's a, there's a dragon in one of them, as far as I can see. There's no wind at the moment, so they're not moving. I can start to really focus on the detail in the tree. And if I find that I'm drifting back inside my head, I can pull myself out by focusing on something else. There's a guy with a chainsaw outside, for example, and I'm hoping that doesn't come through on the podcast. So I can use that. I can actually be deliberate in focusing away from my thoughts, but by focusing externally to me, by picking some external thing, by thinking of a bark on a tree. And even if you can't see anything, you can, you can focus on something else. Because it's really hard to focus on one thing for any length of time. I, I read a book many years ago by Roald Dahl that, that a lot of people don't know about called The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar. And in it, there was a person who could look like he had some kind of telepathy skills or something like that, because basically he could glance at the room and within seconds remember everything in it. So if his eyes were closed, he could move around. And he practiced this by holding a candle flame. So looking at a candle flame and then holding that image in his mind for as long as he could. I became obsessed with this. 
I used to look at candle flames, close my eyes, and I cannot keep a candle flame in my eye for more than a few seconds. It's really hard. But that's a really good distraction. To be trying to do it is distracting. So it means you're not engaging with your thoughts. You're not believing your thoughts. So when somebody tells you to do something with your mind that requires that you go internal, just substitute it if it's a problem for you for something that takes you focusing on the external. And you will drift in and out, but keep bringing yourself back to that external focus. The second element of mindfulness tends to be the focus on the body. We think about our breathing. We think about relaxing our muscles. If you say to me, focus on your body, I'm already gone. Right. Even the word body has me. I really am screwed up. I'm working on it, though. Um, But yeah, just this idea that I would connect into myself is just horrendous. And I have a massive trigger around breathing. And that's not uncommon for people who've been through what I've been through. So if you put me in a room, you put me in yoga or Pilates or mindfulness or anything, Or if I'm triggered and you say, think about your breathing, you're going to just make it worse for me. If you say, focus on your body, relax your shoulders, whatever, it's really hard for me to do those things. It's the opposite of what I've had to learn to do to survive. But there is a value in not being owned by your body. You know, if you want to be present, if you want to be beyond the stuff that's going on in your head, then actually you need to not be owned by these triggers. So for me, it was like, how do I work out how to do this when I can't do this? I've had people suggest that I I rub hand cream on. I don't like that sensation of being aware of my body, of my skin, of my, you know, there's so many things. But when I used to go running, I'm not good at running. And um, because of my triggers, I'm not good at getting out of breath. So the two running and trying not to get out of breath is quite a significant challenge for me, right? It really is. It's like a huge issue. I have to make sure I pace myself so I'm knackered but not out of breath. And sometimes what I would do was I would imagine that in my toe, there was a little kind of pinprick. There was a a dot in my toe, a, a sensation in my toe. And then I would focus all my energy on moving that dot up through my toe and up into my heel and then up my leg and it takes a huge amount of focus to just focus on that sensation that one sensation in that one tiny part of your body and then move that sensation this is really great instead of focusing on your body focus on the dot now you can put that dot as a starter anywhere that works for you you can put it in your toe, you could put it in a finger, you could put it in an ear. I don't know, because I don't, I don't know what your stuff is. But I do know that there will be somewhere that you can start. And then I also know it's really tricky to engage, to associate into that dot, to that sensation, and then to move it. So if you're doing any sort of mindfulness exercise, or you believe that you need to do this, This is a great way to start, to focus your thoughts on something external. Now, by the way, you can also think of a song. Not listen to it on headphones. Think of a song. Imagine you've got a play button in your head and you press play. And then imagine you've got a volume button in your head and turn it up really loud. And just every time your thoughts drift away, come back to the song, turn it louder, turn it down quieter. Just play with that song. Think of the words. Think of the voice that it's being sung in. 
externalize from your internal reality this is what we're talking about we're talking about disconnecting from your internal reality in a deliberate way not in a disassociative get the hell out of here kind of way just in a okay i'm actually going to connect with myself by bizarrely disconnecting with myself i'm going to have control of my thoughts or my internal world by creating it by focusing on something I'm going to have control of my physical world by thinking of this dot and moving this dot around. Because you're still connecting. But it gives you a chance to feel that you are beyond your stuff. Now, any of these things are not magic ones. They might actually just help you understand something more. So, for example, if I'm saying put it in your toe and you're like, whoa, no, I don't do that, right? What does that tell me? What's that about? What can I learn from it? What do I need to do with it? These are questions that are really important. The process of change is not nice, right? It's not this wonderful, happy skippy where the layers fall away and you're just like, woohoo, I feel great now. I can do anything. It means staring the darkest parts of you straight in the eye, staring at your hurts, giving it a name, acknowledging it and accepting it and saying, that did happen. That was terrible. That damaged me. Because by acknowledging it first, you can then say, and still I'm here. And still I survived. And still I'm okay. Why is that? So that was damaging, it hurt me, it damaged me. I need to fully acknowledge it, I need to see it, and then I need to go, and still, I have the resources to keep going. It is not true today. But it very much was true when it happened. Now, I don't advise doing that on your own. I'm doing it with my cousin, and it's still really hard. My cat is meowing really loudly in the background. <laughs> this comes through on the podcast. I'm sorry. Um, so, um, you know, it is a really hard process. If you let me, I will help you. I will make it as easy as I can. And I will be with you all the way through because I know how this stuff works. And I'm not going to tell you to do stuff that you fail at because it's not trauma informed. If you're working with somebody else, make sure they're trauma-informed. What trauma-informed is, is understanding the difference a traumatic childhood can make, or a traumatic event, can make to standard ways of doing things. That you have to adjust, you have to be flexible. You shouldn't be made to feel bad for things not working for you. Because everybody's different, everybody's unique. What you should do is play and experiment and accept that sometimes because of your unique situation, those things might not work for you. So just because you've got your triggers, just because you've got your stuff, doesn't mean you can't do things like mindfulness. You can. It's just mindfulness means something very different to you. So find a way that works for you. And don't struggle. I struggled for years. And I couldn't believe it when I came across Trevor and there was this thing that worked for me. It is just wonderful to be able to work through the stuff, even though it's really difficult. I still, I am choosing, I am still choosing to walk straight into the very darkest parts of my mind. To stare the worst, most scary things. Because I know 
for sure that that takes away their power, takes away their voice, and on the other side is just an authentic version of me. And even though often it's the last thing I want to do, I'm still doing it because I recognize that because I've got the benefit of having been through that experience before. So trust me when I say it can change. It always can change. And there's nothing wrong with you. You're not broken. You've just maybe built structures to survive that don't match other people's approaches. So when you're doing the mind stuff, Focus not internally in your reality. Try and create an alternative reality external to you. Something a bit more solid, a bit more real. When you're focusing on your body, you don't have to do the breathing thing. You don't have to do the body relaxing thing. Pick a dot and move it around. That's still the same thing. Hopefully this was useful and I will speak to you all again soon.